Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of Speaking Out Mental Health and Football. Um, here at the podcast, what we're trying to do is explore the issues in football with mental health. Now, that might be somebody who is a coach, it could be somebody who is a manager playing, it could be somebody as a professional, it could be somebody playing at Sunday League. We're looking at the issues in football as recreation. Can that help with mental health? Or do people suffer? We're looking at the pressures of the professional game, people who are at the highest level and the pressures that that involves, people who are in an academy and the pressures that that involves as well because you think about players at 15 and 16 who all they want to do is play football professionally if they are then not taken on for the next year of professional football. They don't get a contract. Where do they go? What is the mental health impact on them? So today we have a really, really fascinating discussion with Pete Lowe from PlayersNet. Um, And here's, with no further ado, Pete to explain what it is that they do at PlayersNet. Yeah, PlayersNet, yeah, it's um, um, an organisation that's been in the making for a wee bit of time now. The whole idea of the organisation is an independent support service for players, parents, staff of clubs, volunteers from grassroots football, uh, basically everybody in football. And so, if you like, it's the issues which are not currently dealt with inside of the game, which I, I list as concerns that any one of those groups of people might have, but who require a support service to be able to manage it for the want of a better way of putting it. So who who would come under that group? What kind of... What kind of well, group? young players inside of football clubs, inside of academies, parents of players inside of academies, um, staff who sometimes work at the clubs, uh, you know, so we've had inquiries from staff at, at clubs, um, from fairly big football clubs. We've had m- numerous inquiries from parents um, with regard to some serious issues, some minor issues. They're not safeguarding issues, Callum. They're issues outside of safeguarding and um, and children's regulations, which football takes care of. It's the other, it's the other issues that... Um, tend to go underneath the radar for the want of a better way of putting it and those people those types of people come to us um, requesting help advice on how to manage for example um, dealing uh, managing uh, the needs of an agent um, how to establish getting the right agent um, how to manage the expectations of um, weighty expectations of a coach inside of a professional club which can be quite quite difficult and quite daunting for young players to manage sometimes. And, um, and parents who want a bit of advice where that's concerned, those are just um, smaller issues. You know, there's bigger issues as well that, that we've managed, duty of care issues, for example. So how did you kind of go about setting this up? Thanks. It sounds like a really big project. It's a big project, yeah, very much so. Um, but it's a big part of the game. I mean, I had 25 years in the in the game full time and part time, Callum. So I'm I'm not, um, <clears throat> shall we say, um, unversed in professional football. Um, there's me and a, and and four other colleagues that have established this organisation. Um, one of which is a parent who had a son inside of the game, 
Um, one is an ex an ex apprentice and young uh, professional player who failed along the way and wanted to um, to go back into the game at some stage in his life, and is trying to do so. Um, uh, an ex um, um, manager and assistant manager inside of the game, and um, another colleague as well who's who's not inside of the game at all. So essentially, it's been, it's been driven through experience of the game, shall we say, experience of the game's needs and what the game needs, <clears throat> which isn't presently offering, if you like, and um, a knowledge of the game, certainly at um, at young player level. Yeah, um, that's really interesting. Obviously, I'm kind of looking into <laughs> mental health in football with regards yeah. to a few different aspects, professional football, it has recreation and kind of what the main issues are um, and one that I've kind of got from speaking to a lot of people is when kind of younger people are released from professional clubs um, there's not a huge deal of kind of support readily available um, yeah. is, is that kind of one of the one of the things that you're looking into well it could be one of the things Callum but you know I wouldn't I wouldn't highlight that as just being one of the specific things I mean the simple fact is is that you know young players um, will always find the challenge of becoming a professional player very difficult. It's very arduous. It's a long journey. There are an awful lot of challenges along the way and also a lot of obstacles inside of those challenges and they've got to turn those obstacles into challenges. You know, so it, it's a very long, di- long, difficult journey and because um, young players, and like any player of any age, is first and foremost a human being, we, always, we deal with our issues in our own personal way, shall we say. Um, our ability to manage those issues is dependent upon our character and our personality and sometimes on the degree of um, um, advice and support services that may, may be or may not be available to us at that moment in time. So there are huge numbers of challenges. Um, so, you know, mental health is just, um, <clears throat> excuse me, is just one side of, um, of the difficulties that now face players. But, you know, I, I said it in an interview uh, only two and a half, three weeks ago on a national radio station that, you know, football mirrors, uh, mirrors life. It's mirrors society. We're a very reactive society. We're not necessarily a proactive one. We tend to deal with things when they go wrong rather than stopping them from going wrong. And football's very much like that. You know, and what it's taken is, if you like, the Aaron Lennon um, situation a couple of years back to really bring it to the fore. We now have the Danny Rose one where he's come out and been, uh, both players, of course, been very brave and spoken up um, as to their own personal situation and the, the, their, um, the problems that they have faced. And often it takes these high-profile situations to actually bring to the fore what, what is an everyday occurrence for people. But the simple reality is there have been, you know, private companies have been established for some particular time now with regards to dealing with mental health of um, people working in industry or whatever that might be. It's now a very in vogue um, subject and it's something that everybody wants to discuss at this moment in time. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I actually think that's a really good thing. So if it highlights an area of life that we have to start being more proactive towards and that is people's welfare in the workplace, then so be. I think that's a great thing. Yeah, definitely. I 100% agree. Um... I think it's really interesting what you're saying there as well about football mirroring society. <clears throat> yeah. Um, because it's kind of both come along at the same time in a way, kind of mental health. Absolutely. Particularly men's mental health has become such a, 
a hot topic in the last kind of probably yeah year or so, hasn't it? Yeah, very much so. I mean, you know, I was asked a, I was asked a question: Would you know, would it be a problem for a player in the very masculine world of football to have to come forward and and to show, shall we say, say a lot with regards to his own personal circumstances? Well. I've not been in that situation, so I can't put myself inside of a player's head. But what I will say is this, and what I did say was this, is that any player that came forward and was as brave as the ones that have come forward have actually been, I would think would be viewed by their teammates as doing the game a great service and not a disservice. And because they work in a team game, I would imagine that their teammates would do nothing but wrap their arms around them in a metaphorical sense and give them all the huge support that they that they you know, they, they actually need. Because here, but for the grace of God, go I, if you like. We can all be in that situation quite easily. You know, and so um, it actually strengthens football, in my, in my opinion. It doesn't weaken it. And it actually strengthens it in the view that we are human beings that take, you know, take a part in the game. You know, I was lucky to have a career in it for a very long time. And I was blessed to work with some of the people that I work with. You know, but we could all have had those problems um, that some players have. And who knows how many people inside of not just professional football, but sport in general, who play sport or who work at sport, if you like, at the very top levels, experience the types of problems that some of those players have just recently come out and stated, uh, stated their problems are about. You know, so it's, None of us, nobody who works in, in professional sport is infallible. They're all fallible. You know, they manage pressure um, their own ways. And only they could tell you what those, those, those ways were, if you like, and whether or not that's actually successful or not. But pressure changes, doesn't it? And pressure changes according to, shall we say, the needs of the moment or the requirements of the moment. You know, what pressure are those players under before that game tonight? Out in Russia, you know, because they know that you know the, the expectations of a nation rest upon their shoulders, and and you know and that's that's a that's a heck of a weight to carry. But at the end of the day, it's a heck of a weight to carry for a man working at a production line who has to provide a mortgage and um, monies for a mortgage and monies for to feed a family at the end of every month. You know, so pressures are very they're they're individualistic things, aren't they? And how we manage them is equally individualistic. That doesn't mean to say, of course, that we should never provide an ability for somebody to put their hands on a support service should they require that before it goes wrong as opposed to when it goes wrong. And I think really that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, no, that's that's really quite profound. Um, <clears throat> so where, where do you envision kind of players net in the future? What's your kind of your goal with them? Um, a national organisation that can provide for the needs of those people that I talked about, you know, young players, um, parents of young players, um, staff who work inside of clubs, um, grassroots volunteers who might need um, the advice and support and, shall we say, um, ability to of the organisation to deliver mentors for, for young people. Um, I see that as a national organisation with our fingers crossed as an organisation being supported by the governing bodies of the game and being seen as by the governing bodies of the game as being an organisation that can professionally provide for the needs of those bodies across the game. Well, that that sounds really fantastic. Um, I'm really interested in the kind of 
the mental stuff as well at grassroots because uh, yeah. I know from talking to a couple of people who run <coughs> semi-professional teams and stuff that the issue for them a lot of the time is kind of the funding and they're operating on tight budgets and stuff like that. So it's kind of getting the support there and ready for people. Well, you know, grassroots football is always going to be something that's um, uh, been a, be a topical area. You know, it's one of those areas that over the last few years people have said that not enough funding is, is ploughed into it and not enough support is given towards it. Um, it's diminishing in terms of numbers. Um, I'm led to believe that the numbers involved in grassroots is on the way up. I, I, I couldn't substantiate that. It's what I was told. Um, so all of those things have been attributed, if you like, to where grassroots is concerned. What is for sure, Callum, is that without grassroots, there aren't any footballers. That's a fact. They've got to start somewhere. They've got to learn the game somewhere. They've got to be encouraged to play somewhere. They've got to develop a game, an enthusiasm for the game somewhere, a love for the game somewhere. And that love and that passion and that enthusiasm has to carry through with people who have the same degrees of love, enthusiasm and passion for the game. So grassroots football will always be hugely, hugely important. And, and really, you know, we should attribute as much in terms of service to it and in terms of finances for developing as we can actually do as a, as a country, you know, because at the end of the day, the products of grassroots football are playing out in Russia right now. So it starts somewhere, you know, so there's all these volunteers that put their time and huge amounts of effort into grassroots football. And, um, you know, they're the unsung heroes of football in this country. It's not people like me who have worked in professional football clubs and been lucky to have um, a career from it and all those wonderful experiences that it gave you. It's not people like me. You know, we're very much in the minority. We were very much very lucky to have those opportunities. Uh, the majority of people do it because they love the game, plain and simple. So, you know, they should be rewarded with all the types of service that they can get um, attributed to it. Somebody once said to me, and it's actually not too long ago, you can't mark your own homework because if you do, the only grades you're going to get will be the ones, the, one, the ones that you've always wanted in the first place. It's a brilliant phrase. It's brilliant. You know, so having an organisation that's independent of um, an association to, to governing bodies, but which works with those governing bodies, is supported by those governing bodies, is funded by those governing bodies, who answers, if you like, not just to those governing bodies and to the greater good of the game, but actually to the nation who know that they're around. And goodness me, you're in a place of huge strength, in my opinion. And you're providing something then and now, if you like, that isn't present, possibly now. So that can only be a good thing, Callum, surely. Yeah, absolutely. I can tell there's something that you are very, very passionate about. And that, well, and you, that shows... you know, I worked... In one of my previous clubs, I worked with people who, you know, we had a, a phenomenal record. You know, 74 professional players in 10 years who debuted in, in the first team and 30-odd who played at the very highest level, as 39 rather, who played at the very highest of level is, is a brilliant record in anybody's book at youth development. You know, we're very proud of that. But those people also, uh, the predominance of them were parents and they were good parents, really good parents. And we took the view that actually this could easily be your son. You know, so the only standard you should apply is that really simply in the game, if you work at this level, is that if it's not good enough for your son, then it's not good enough for somebody else's. 
and you build your standards around that. You know, every place should have a standard of performance. That's not my phrase, by the way. That comes from the great Bill Walsh, who used to be the um, head coach of the San Francisco 49ers, but whose work is, is read by, still uh, read by millions now. And he used that phrase, having a standard of performance, and you've got to have that. And if you don't have a standard of performance, then with all due respect, everything you do on a daily basis is going to be very ad hoc. And you've got nothing by which to measure your standards against, you know, whether you need to improve on the following or whatever it might be. So if it's not good enough for your son, then it's not good enough for somebody else's, Callum. It's really simple as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. You know, we make, uh, we make a lot of decisions in professional sports sound like, with all due respect, like it's world-shattering stuff. And for God's sakes, it isn't. Just make a decision. Because you can always put a decision right that's wrong. But you can never put a decision right that you've never made. So, you know, why is that so difficult? Well, yeah, that's the question, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. So you've touched on a great subject area, by the way, mate. Seriously, you're going to find it a minefield, if you don't mind me saying. Yeah. Um, but it's like everything else in life. You either face that minefield as a challenge or you always see obstacles. And if you see obstacles, it'll never get uh, sorted. If you see the challenge, you'll never sort it but you'll get towards sorting it, and that's for, that's for sure. And that concludes the first ever episode of Speaking Out Mental Health and Football. Um, a big thank you for listening, and please do share and subscribe wherever you can. A big thank you to Pete Lowe today from PlayersNet for speaking so openly about the work that they're doing and that they're intending to do. And I hope that you tune in for the next episode here on Speaking Out Mental Health and Football. Yeah.